There, do you have any idea what you're listening to? London Philharmonic? It's Venus. Huh? Venus. Why not? We've bounced signals off the moon's surface. There's no reason that Venus shouldn't radiate impulses. I don't mean the static. Can't you hear it, the other thing? What other thing? Listen to it, Paul. Listen to the voice. Hello, and welcome to Media Geek. This is your weekly look at the world of grassroots and independent media, as well as a critical examination of our media environment. It's media freedom and our right to communicate. My name is Paul Riesmanel, and I'm your host. Eric Yarnell is ably at the controls. On today's program, Low Power FM takes a relative leap forward compared to the last nine years. And Channel 6, good old TV Channel 6, may finally be giving way to a little bit of FM radio. All that and more, you do want to stay tuned. Well, you know, it's it's a small victory that was had today. And today, as we produce, as we go to the first air date, October 15th, 2009, the Local Community Radio Act passed the House Commerce Committee. And this is sort of sort of a big deal because this is a bill which has been floated in pretty much every Congress since 2000, the purpose of which is to restore non-commercial, low-power community radio. Those of you who've been listening to Media Geek for quite some time have certainly heard about this subject many times over and over again, but it bears repeating, especially for anyone who's hearing about it for the first time or it's a new Media Geek listener. Now, Low Power FM is a class of non-commercial radio stations that was designed by the FCC and put into action in the year 2000. It's intended to sort of be an escape valve for all of the consolidation and the uh, really the squeezing out of alternative and uh, minority voices from the FM airwaves that have happened since the uh, 1996 Telecommunications Act. And what these stations are is they're very inexpensive to run, running at a power of 100 watts, and supposed to be able to run even as low as 10 watts for very inexpensive power, covering small areas, neighborhoods, small cities, parts of cities, rather than the huge pieces of landscape. Specifically non-commercial, specifically locally owned, so specifically unable to be owned by large chains of broadcasters like uh, a clear channel. Specifically supposed to be completely and utterly accountable to their local communities, inexpensive to put on the air because they run at such a low power. Transmitters can be had for a few thousand dollars rather than tens of thousands of dollars. And easy to get. The FCC created a very expedited, much easier to complete licensing process for these stations. The last part of Low Power FM that was supposed to really open up FM dials across the country to community radio, was that they could be put onto the dial a little closer together than full power stations. I mean, think about it uh, that the power of of a radio station expressed in watts is a lot like someone yelling. 
So if someone's yelling at the top of their lungs, you don't want to get too close to them because it'll break your eardrums. But if they're whispering, you can get closer and closer and closer without hurting you. Well, the same thing with radio. When you have uh, 10,000 watts of power, on the one hand, uh, obviously you can't put two 10,000-watt stations on the same frequency too close together geographically, but there's also a little bit of spillage. So if that station is broadcasting, let's say, at 101.1 FM, um, there is some spillage around to 101.3 FM, 101.5 FM, maybe even all the way up to 101.7 FM. At what's called the so-called third channel adjacent. And so full power stations are expected to obey some spacing guidelines. So if you have a station running, say, 10,000 watts, a pretty common uh, power level, at 101.1 FM, another full power station is not supposed to be any closer. Not supposed to be any closer on the dial than 101.9 FM, basically in the area of that station. Uh, There's supposed to be this protection of this third channel adjacent. But because a 10 or 100 watt station really just doesn't take up, won't won't, won't kind of spread out so much in the dial, the FCC and its engineers, who are very hardcore radio geeks, said, well, we can put a 10 watt or 100 watt station a little closer to a full power station. We might be able to put that full power station instead of on 101, 101.9 FM. We might be able to go one little blip of the dial closer, 101.7 FM. But the effect of that meant is in a lot of areas where there's otherwise no new slots available for a new FM station, there would be an opportunity to put a new FM radio station on the air, especially in uh, large metropolitan areas like the Chicago area where Media Geek originates or Los Angeles or New York or Philadelphia, Washington, Boston, pick a major metroplex. And you have areas that currently cannot have low-power FM stations. So the FCC enacted this in 2000, uh, much much to the uh, annoyance of the National Association of Broadcasters, which saw the addition of new 100-watt low-power FM stations as apparently a threat to dilute the radio dial immediately turned its lobbying powers up to 11, hit the Congress, uh, one of the tactics they used was uh, a CD of what they permitted, that they uh, said was the interference that a low power station was causing, could cause to a high power station. And said, this is what's going to happen all over the radio dial. It's going to be chaos. And um, many legislators tried to get a anti-low power FM bill passed in 2000. That didn't quite happen, but towards the end of the year, as the House and the Senate were busy in the back rooms trying to put together and pass an omnibus budget bill before the hour clicked over midnight. These are the kind of bills that get a lot of pork barrel thrown in them, get a lot of riders thrown in them, a lot of often things that are unrelated to budgetary items thrown in them. And one of the things that got attached to this omnibus budget bill in the year 2000 was the clipping of the low-power FM wings that would require the FCC to make low-power FM stations at 10 and 100 watts. Obey the same spacing requirements, that same third-channel-adjacent spacing requirements that full-power stations have to obey. And then it required that the FCC would have to go out and get a a, uh, third-party research report done to investigate 
just what harm and interference low power FM might cause on the FM dial. Well, so it's been now nine years. Low power FM stations are on on the dial in many cities and cities where there was a space for a hundred watt station obeying this absurd third adjacent requirement. But there aren't low power FM stations in places like New York City and Chicago and these large metroplexes. And every year since two thousand nine, since two thousand, uh, pretty much in the House or in the Senate, bills have been submitted in order to try and dial this back to restore low power FM. And one of the reasons why is because the FCC went out and got that third-party report by the MITRE Corporation, which is a uh, engineering research and analysis organization in Washington, D.C., very old-school Washington, D.C., very establishment, not radical in any way. And the MITRE report came back and said, yeah, low-power FM doesn't pose a problem at all. Worries about a 100-watt station being one notch closer on the dial to a full-power station are misplaced. There will be no interference. We show no problems. This is the report which Congress said the FCC had to do, and it corroborated the FCC's own research. So now there was finally some firepower, but both Republicans and Democrats in both houses of Congress seem not really interested in pushing it all the way through. During the Bush administration, President Bush made it relatively clear he didn't intend to sign such a bill. So they float and sink. Well, here we are in 2009. We're in the first year of the Obama administration, a new Democratic administration. Democrats in charge of the Commerce Committees in both the House and Senate, the bills where these have to go through. And finally, the Low Coal Community Radio Act passes the Commerce Committee. And, and what's significant about this, it doesn't just pass by a partisan vote, but it's a fully bipartisan unanimous vote. Republicans are now on board with the Low Power Community Radio Act. Um, in fact, it gained the support of former skeptics, including Representative Greg Walden, who is a Republican of Oregon, who is the only former broadcaster on the Commerce Committee in the House, as well as Representative Cliff Stearns, a Republican from Florida, who was a lead co-sponsor of a bill originally floated in 2000, intended to strip Low Power FM down and which eventually got passed in a version attached to that omnibus bill. So you even have former skeptics, former opponents to low-power FM, coming on board to endorse it now out of the House Commerce Committee. Kind of a big deal. Eric. Paul, I, you know, I, I think some some people may uh, have a hard time conceptualizing. So like 10 watts, you mentioned, that could be right. for, the, the, for a low-power station. What, how does that compare to, like, uh, WNUR here? Well, WNUR broadcast was 7,000 watts. Um, it gives us, a, I mean, you know, every station's broadcast radius um, is constrained not just by its power, but by um, the geography. Um, FM is line of sight, so things like mountains and valleys impede uh, the trajectory, the travel of an FM signal. As well, a broadcaster may be uh, required to have a directional pattern. So uh, sometimes people think about if you throw a a pebble into a a pond and you watch kind of the the waves ripple out from that pebble, um, you know, that's kind of how how, uh, a uh, radio signal travels. But sometimes uh, a radio station is asked to have a directional signal so uh to push it more in one direction south east n- northwest rather than the other um 
So, generally speaking, 7,000 watts is good for somewhere close to 20 to 30 miles, depending on geographic conditions. 10 watts, good for 5 miles, maybe at best. Now, I know some radio stations, I know of an AM station in particular, that that the, the signal range is good only for a particular building for a few floors of a well that's called a carrier curtain current and those are it's a type of low power am station that doesn't require license and what you do is you send a very low power signal over uh the the actual electrical wiring and but it's so low power that it doesn't leave the building and a lot of uh there are a lot of campus stations uh not so much anymore but that uh, let's say more uh in the 70s and back and 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 prior years use that so like a 10 watt station you get like maybe a few miles a 100 watt station uh maybe five uh 10 15 mile radius depending on how high you get the intent your uh broadcast intent up and where people's uh reception antennas are i've listened to a lot of radio that would have been best served not leaving the building (laughs) yeah well that's a whole different argument now, uh, but I th- and I think a lot of those stations are now owned by Clear Channel. I believe um, we we can say that. So now the House Commerce Committee has approved this unanimously, um, and it's a, it's a pretty big statement of support uh, because the House Commerce Committee is supposed to be the folks who are most interested in and uh, also to some extent more expert in the areas of broadcast. Now, the National Association of Broadcasters, the largest lobby representing the commercial uh, broadcast industry, uh, does still oppose this, but it seems as though uh, their their lobbying power uh, is no longer as strong, at least on this issue, as it was before. Now, there's a couple things added to the uh, Local Community Radio Act um, which was put in there to, to placate uh, the existing broadcasters a little bit, although I don't think it's placated the National Association of Broadcasters uh, significantly. One of which, one, one aspect of it is that there is protection in this bill for translator stations. It's something we've mentioned before on Media Geek. And these are stations which are essentially repeaters. Uh, they repeat the signal of a full power station. Public radio, in particular, makes a huge use of translators to help uh, get the service signal out into mountainous areas, especially in places like California or out west, into uh, small towns and such in a very inexpensive sort of way. Translators are also often very uh, low power stations operating up to 250 watts, but as low as 10 watts. So there is some protection that low power FM stations uh, cannot infringe on on existing translator stations and that's written into this bill by comparison a full power station always trumps a translator another protection is in here is that the uh, bill would require the fcc to have a so-called expedited complaint process regarding interference so if somebody a listener were to believe that a low power fm station was uh uh, basically improperly interfering with uh, a full-power station or a full-power broadcaster could show that uh, the FCC would be required to act on that more quickly. Both of those put in to try and placate existing uh, broadcasters. But otherwise, the bill would lift this third-channel adjacent channel protection uh, for low-power FM stations, allowing a low-power up uh, to full-power stations, allowing a low-power FM station to be a little bit closer on the dial. Of course, this is just a committee, and that means the bill still has to go to the floor of the House for a full vote before it has an opportunity to be law. It seems usually when a, a bill gets a, a full endorsement from a committee, uh, it has a pretty good shot of getting to the floor unless 
the uh, Speaker of the House uh, really opposes it, and there's absolutely no indication that Nancy Pelosi opposes this bill at all. Well, especially something like this, which is, uh, you know, not really, I don't think it's it's in the common expertise of a typical, uh, you know, Congress. Well, that's never stopped them before. Certainly well, didn't stop but, them in 2000. Well, I mean, every, everyone has an opinion on the war, you know, and, and things like that. This, you know, it seems like they'd be very, very likely to go along with the Well, it's kind of a feel-good one, right? So we're now at this point where maybe, uh, you know, nine years later and, and, and some 13 years after the, uh, the consolidation wars began, I think uh, it's easier to get constituents and the general public a little more excited about the idea of more interesting, non-commercial uh, community radio. And it's an easy little feather for a uh, congressperson to put in her hat when she comes home and say, look at the wonderful things they did for you. You might have the opportunity to have a new low-power community station in your community. Um, and that was a bipartisan – it was a bipartisan bill. Uh, it allows them to sort of uh, – especially Republicans, I think, to look a little bit more communitarian while they uh, bicker about the uh, health care bill. Yeah, I mean, it's all about bringing home the pork. So we'll see whether or not um, the health care bill gets in the way. But yet the bill still has to go through the Senate. It's still there's the companion bill is still has to pass to the Senate Commerce Committee. Uh, there's no indicator that it'll be have a hard time there. It has had bipartisan support in the Senate. Uh, one of the most uh, vocal proponents has been Senator John McCain, in fact, a Republican. Um, so it, sh- it should probably pass through there as well. It has a road to go, but it's never seen this speedy of action, considering it was first introduced into Congress uh, nearly eight months ago. <laughs> But that's how things go. But uh, you could say that uh, people who are fans of Low Power FM, fans of community radio, fans of radio diversity are uh, are cautiously excited. And out on the Twitter feed, twitter.com slash mediageek, I put out the question to my listeners, to people out there. So, do you think that there's finally a chance that the local community radio act restoring Low Power FM will finally get passed by both houses of Congress? Got a couple of responses. Camilla Kovacs. A uh, friend of mine, she uh, works out in Washington on on all sorts of issues uh, at, the, at the Media Access Project, which does wonderful work in uh, support of low-power FM and support of media diversity. She says, well, we'll have to see how the Senate moves in the bill. Uh, also, Andrew O'Boyle, who goes by Fun For All, F-U-N-F-E-R-A-L, uh, now a, uh, a professor and radio advi- college radio advisor himself out in New York State. He says the speed it's making through the House is impressive, but the Senate could be a different creature. Indeed, the Senate often is a decent creature. And this is Media Geek, Media Freedom, and our right to communicate. My name is Paul Rizanel. I'm your host. Eric Arnell joins occasionally with the microphone on, ably holding down the controls here. Check out Media Geek online. MediaGeek.net is the home of the Media Geek blog. The radio show is at radio.mediageek.net. As I said, the Twitter feed is at twitter.com slash mediageek. We like to take your tweets and make it more interactive. And you can do the, uh, what now is old school, send me email, paul at mediageek.net. All right, getting on, we got some more news to cover. Uh, Just the other day, on October 13th, the FCC announced that it was now going to allow non-commercial stations... The ability to no longer have to protect analog TV channel 6. This is something we've talked about on the show many times before as well. Is that the audio channel 
for TV Channel 6, Analog TV Channel 6, butts up against the low end of the FM radio dial at 87.7 MHz. Many radios can tune this in. Recently, many low-power, or not many, but several low-power TV stations in different cities, including Chicago, have uh, taken advantage of that to start basically TV stations that are really radio stations. So there's a low-power television station on Channel 6 here in Chicago that has turned itself into a, a smooth jazz radio station. On the visual television channel, it just runs a slideshow of Chicago, and the audio channel sounds like a regular radio ch- commercial radio station playing smooth jazz. But in a lot of other cities, that Channel 6 was a full-power TV station, which had to go digital. And going to digital, most stations traded in their channel space there in the VHF dial, Channel 6, for space on the UHF dial, meaning they now leaving that Channel 6 space vacant. Um, already, lots of, low, of non-commercial stations down on the far left end of the dial, close to 87.7 FM, started asking the FCC, hey, you know, without that having to protect that station there, we might be able to move our transmitter to uh, perhaps a location closer to a uh, large population base, or we might be able to increase our power. When can we do that? And the FCC initially said, hold on, hold on, hold your horses, we got to explore it. But has now decided that beginning October 27th, a non-commercial station... Uh, that wishes to make changes to its license so that it might otherwise impede on the 87.7 FM station space, may do so, uh, provided that there is not a no longer a uh, full-power station there at Channel 6. So in Chicago, that means stations are out of luck. There's a low-power TV station already there, and uh, it gets to stay there. But there's plenty of other cities where their Channel 6 is now a digital TV station that actually moved away from Channel 6, perhaps to the UHF dial. And there's an opportunity for stations to uh, increase power or move their transmitters. It's not going to be a big land grab for new non-commercial stations. Uh, In fact, right now, the FCC is not uh, granting licenses for uh, new uh, non-commercial stations. Uh, these days, uh, the FCC does new stations through a uh, what's called a, 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 a application window, a licensing window. When they, uh, it's sort of kind of even out the process when they uh, open up and say for this uh, 10-day period, people can apply for licenses in various states, and at the end they adjudicate and figure out who gets a license out of the deal. And that's not happening anytime soon. Although one thing that might kind of interfere with some stations expanding into that, that low end of the FM dial, is that there is an upcoming filing window for new low-power television stations in major markets, markets like L.A., Chicago, New York, Philadelphia, Houston, etc. Uh, they may be analog still. Low-power TV stations may stay analog and therefore could apply for Channel 6 in some markets and uh, bump up against the low end of the FM dial. So there could be an opportunity for either new TV stations or for someone enterprising to want to attempt to have a new FM station by having a TV station like they have done in Chicago and in New York where there's a station called The Pulse, 87.7, which does all dance music. Of course, that station, unfortunately, is currently in bankruptcy proceedings. Now, any TV station uh, like that probably wouldn't be picked up by your major cable outlets or do they usually cover 
Most yeah, days. low power TV stations are not required to be picked up uh, by cable television. So, yeah, you're 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 kind of out in the wilds there. So that's why if you're in uh, if you have Chicago cable, um, you generally don't see that smooth jazz station in your channel lineup. But I'm sure in some, in some areas where maybe cable's not as prevalent, mm-hmm. that would be. Exactly. A lot of people would, would You would, would see, see you turn on a Channel 6 and you'd see it. Of course, uh, a lot of people are no longer tuning in analog TV stations because they're primarily doing it through a digital television or through their digital converter box, although the converter box should pass through the analog signals. Um, yeah, the, the uh, you know, but uh, someone who got a low-power TV license uh, would have the opportunity to go digital if they wanted to. So it's optional uh, for low-power television stations. They can go digital or they can stay analog. So... Uh, there's opportunities there. We'll, we'll we'll keep you up to date. It's always interesting. Um, it gets dismissed a lot, low-power television, low-power FM, uh, and, and these opportunities. But they can really make interesting changes to our media landscape. And it's sort of an opportunity for uh, the metaphorical weeds to poke up through the sidewalk. And uh, it's always interesting to see what might come out of that. And speaking of FM radio licenses, um, the FCC recently... Closed out an auction of 122 commercial radio licenses. Uh, in a non-commercial space, the licenses are not auctioned off. They're free. But now the FCC does auction off commercial licenses. Uh, so they're no longer obtained for free. And, of course, the point of an auction is rather than trying to decide between uh, two competing licenses... Uh, the FCC lets the lets the uh, market do the work for them, and the and a, provided that they're otherwise qualified potential radio license owners, the winning bid is the winner. And this last auction raised a total of five point two five million dollars for the federal government, and there was a sale of eighty five licenses, which means thirty seven went unsold, and by unsold. That means either there were no bids that meant the minimum requirements, the minimum auction price, the reserve price, if you will, for you eBay fanatics, or nobody wanted them at all. It's really sad. <laughs> I know I know uh, Del Caliano, whom you've interviewed before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jerry Del Caliano of InsideMusicMedia.com. Would, would probably has a lot to say about this. I, don't, <laughs> I haven't read his latest column, but I'm sure he's up No, I haven't about read this. anything about that either from him, uh, so I do not know what Jerry thinks. Um, but it means that perhaps if the – if perhaps simply put with the troubles that the radio industry has seen as of late, um, maybe – the FCC just needs to lower the auction price. Maybe, maybe it needs to start at one dollar. Yeah, I think so. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if they really wanted the the market or whatever to determine the price, they should set no, you know, start it at one dollar and say, you know, maybe it'll go up to. Well, a no one could have predicted we'd be where we are, except for Jerry Delcalia. <laughs> exactly, exactly, <laughs> and the rest of us. But but do people that that do have the money mm-hmm. are they just? Do they just feel that it's more trouble than it's worth? Well, I mean, I, that must be it. I mean, I mean, I can't. We can't really look inside their heads. But I think that if you look at the at the largest owners like Clear Channel, they're already uh, in hock up to their ears. So they're not exactly uh, swimming in extra capital to go out bidding on radio licenses. Um, and these radio licenses, by and large, are not in major markets. Or if they are, 
they're near major markets. They're rim shot signals because in places, the top 10, top 20 markets, they're not empty frequencies just waiting to be taken over unless somebody has been shut down and or somebody has uh, let their license lapse. And while that happens on occasion, it's pretty rare. If you're a license owner in a, in a top 20 market and you think you're about to default, which means you can no longer afford to keep your station on the air and you would go dark or something, um, it has such a high market value, even, even, even a low bid would be in the 10 to $20 million range, you're going to sell. Do, do you know how much these stations were sold for? I don't know any individual one. If we do the quick math on this, oh boy, yeah, I know online. Uh, But if you take five point two five million dollars and you divide that by eighty five, you come up with uh, a number of sixty one thousand dollars. Well, that's not that bad as an average cost. That's really not that bad. But we're we are we are definitely yeah. I mean, we are definitely talking about licenses. In uh, in very small markets, though. Well, that brings to a close another edition of Media Geek. We will be back in one more week with more news and views of our media environment. In the meantime, check out Media Geek online at mediageek.net. The radio show is at radio.mediageek.net. The Twitter feed, where we invite you to engage in active conversation about these very important issues, is at twitter.com slash media geek and of course if you have any comments about the program i do want to hear them send them to me paul at mediageek.net media geek originates at the studios of wnur fm evanston and chicago at 89.3 here on the beautiful lakeshore campus of northwestern University. Media Geek is also heard on great community radio stations like WEFT in Champaign, Illinois, WRFA in Jamestown, New York, and WRFU in Urbana, Illinois. Thanks for tuning in.